Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter 3. If you're new and and you don't know where to find that in your Bible, it's right near the end of your Old Testament. So if you find yourself in the New Testament, just flip back a few books. The book of Jonah, chapter 3. And uh, I've really enjoyed walking through this series with you. Uh, this is just an incredible book. It's, it's short, right? Four chapters long. So often we fly right through it, but there's so much goodness here. And as you're finding that in your Bible, I want to share one of my favorite quotes. And perhaps you've heard this quote before. I hope you have. It's, it's good enough that you should have heard it before. It's from A.W. Tozer, and he says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, maybe you don't believe that to be true, but I will tell you, the older I get, the more I am convinced that is absolutely true. I have seen lives destroyed because people believe wrong things about God. Right? You live very differently depending on what you believe about the God who is watching over you. And, and sometimes it's not just that we believe wrong things. Sometimes we believe right things, but we get them out of, dis, like we get them out of proportion. It's kind of like when you go into a house of mirrors and you walk by a mirror and it is reflecting you, but it's all distorted. Sometimes we look at God that way. I've met people who see rightly the holiness and justice of God, but they lift up that attribute over and against all of the rest of his attributes and they live in shame and fear. Maybe you've met people like that. And I know others who who see God's holiness and His mercy and they lift up that attribute to the neglect of all the rest and they live in lawlessness and sin. You've probably met some people like that too. We need to see Him rightly. Tozer is right. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And the book of Jonah is essentially a story about a prophet who failed to wrap his mind around the breadth of God's character. In particular, Jonah knew about the mercy of God, but he couldn't understand how God's mercy fit together with God's justice. And I'm going to just pause one more time. Jackson, I don't know how it is for you, but I feel like I'm in a... Can I just use the handheld? Would that be helpful? I'm going to use the handheld. All right. This is good. Once again, completely my fault. This, is, this works, though, right? This is better. just means I can't do as much of this as I sometimes do. Let me just repeat what I just said in case you were as distracted as I was. Jonah saw some true things about God, but he couldn't see how they fit together. So he saw the mercy of God. He understood that, but he couldn't quite understand how God's mercy fit together with God's justice. Jonah loved that God was just, right? Jonah loved, he longed for the day when God would rain justice down on Nineveh. See, the Ninevites, and we talked about this in week one, but in case you missed it, the Ninevites were not nice people. The Ninevites oppressed the Israelites. The the Ninevites were enemies of Jonah's people. The the Ninevites did horrible, terrorist, evil, wicked things. They didn't honor God. Therefore, the Ninevites were due for a frightening wake-up call because God is just. And I bet you Jonah was preaching sermons like that in his city in northern Israel, right? Every wrong that the Ninevites have done to us will be punished by the just judge of the universe. I'm sure Jonah preached that as his people said, Amen, Jonah, Amen. Unless, of course, God's mercy gets in the way. You see the problem? 
Jonah couldn't figure out how that would work. And so therefore, when God said, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites, Jonah saw this door of mercy opening for his enemies and he said, no, forget about that. And he fled. He fled as far away as he could. He went down to Joppa, hopped on a boat, set off for Tarshish. God sent wind and waves and storms to get his prophet back on mission. But he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He wasn't listening. Finally, Jonah was thrown overboard and God sent a fish swallowed Jonah. And for three days, Jonah reflected on the mercy of God. That's what we talked about last week. In chapter two, we see this amazing psalm where Jonah is marveling at the mercy of God. He learned that the lesson of mercy is is really good news. And now this morning, this week in our text, he's going to be asked to extend an opportunity for that mercy to his enemies. That's what we're going to find in the text. So would you look with me now to Jonah chapter three? Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation And published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I've reminded you week after week in this series, the prophetic message of Jonah is bound up in the story. So in most prophetic books, you're going to have an oracle, you're going to have a word of prophecy, but Jonah understood that his life was the story. His life was the sermon. Therefore, if we want to understand the message of this book, we need to get in and survey the story and see all the things that we're supposed to see. So let's do that now. And the first detail that I want to make sure that you see before we move forward is the second chance. So let me set the scene for verse 1 of our text. Here we find Jonah, this prophet, and he's, he's lying on the beach, reeking of fish, right? And remember, he's been in the belly of this fish for three days, So it's been pitch black for three days. So here's Jonah. He's opening his eyes like a newborn trying to adjust to the light. In fact, a rebirth is probably a good image for what's going on in this moment. Jonah's been brought from death to life. And he's lying there filthy on the beach when he heard a familiar voice. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you which, if you've been paying attention, is the same command that he received in chapter 1 in verse 2. 
arise, go to Nineveh. Now, you remember what happened the first time you got this call? The text says, so Jonah arose and fled, right? He, he got up, but he went in exactly the opposite direction as far as he could. But here in chapter 3, using the exact same language, Jonah is given a second chance. But here's a question I want to ask, because I think it's worth asking. Why? Like truly, why was Jonah given a second chance? Is it that God needed Jonah? Surely there were other prophets in Israel that God could have sent. I mean, you know that God spoke to Balaam through a donkey, right? God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. God did not need Jonah. There were other prophets. Why then? Well, it's because Jonah needed God. It's because God loved this rebellious prophet so much that he refused to allow him to miss this lesson. It's because God was doing more than speaking to Nineveh. God was speaking to Jonah. By extension, God was speaking to Israel. He was speaking to his people. He said, no, 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 listen. This lesson isn't just for them. It's for all of you. So he wouldn't let Jonah run away from the assignment. He wouldn't let him miss the lesson. One commentator notes, he will not be frustrated by the effrontery of a prophet. Nor has he allowed the prophet to wander indefinitely off course. Now, whenever we do child dedications here, um, you've probably noticed whenever we're praying for these little ones, we always ask that God would give them boring testimonies. You know what I mean? Boring testimonies. God, we just, we pray that this little one, when she's 25 and she's telling people about what, what God has done in her life, we pray that she wouldn't have all of the mishaps and the missteps and the terrible the bouts with sin that we had. Give her a boring testimony. That's what we mean when we pray that. And we're going to continue to pray that prayer. But as we do, let's allow this text to remind us that even if our sin does lead us into terribly dark places, even if we've plummeted to the depths and stood on the brink of death itself, if we confess our sin and turn to God in faith, He can and will and does use even the ugliest stories. Doesn't He? Sometimes we don't have that boring testimony. Jonah did not have the boring testimony. But God used that prophet. He used that man. He picked him up and He washed him off and He sent him back on His assignment. I love this quote from an old pastor. He says, Jonah's history is, as we have seen, sad and sorrowful in the extreme, but grace delights to take up just such as he. See, our God is a God of second chances. And he called to this humbled, rebirthed prophet, reeking of fish, and he said, arise, go. And we read in verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So the prophet's back on mission now. God's word has not been stopped. It's moving forward. And that brings us to the second detail in this story that we need to see. That is the powerful word. See, God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. There is power in the word of God. Do you believe that this morning? And I'm not just asking hypothetically. I want you to think about that. Do you believe this morning that there is power in the word of God? Do you believe that there's power in the Word of God to change the heart of your loved one? Power in the Word of God to bring about a revival in the city of Aurelia. Power in the Word of God to bring dead bones to life. Do you believe that? Look at this text. 
God speaks to Jonah in verse 2. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Here's the detail I want to make sure you see. God didn't send Jonah to go and bring a message about God. He told him to bring a message that was from God. And there is a difference. And I think sometimes we're guilty of missing the difference and getting this all wrong. So often I find myself telling people about God. I want, I want to tell you about my God. He is wonderful. You would love him. He is holy. He is awesome. He is glorious. And uh, if you just met him, I'll tell you, he would, he would knock your socks off, right? Like I'm selling a used car, right? You, you, like I'm setting him up on a blind date. Let me tell you more about, about God and try and get you on the hook. That's not what God called us to do. We're not to go into the world and tell them about God. We are to bring the message from God. We are to go into the world and say, there is a God and he has spoken and here's what he says. Here's what God says to you today. That's the call and it is very different. There's power in the word of God. Look again at the text. Here's a prophet. He doesn't know this audience, right? He's going to another city. Here's the thing. He doesn't even like the audience, He's, he's preaching this sermon, and he's openly not wanting them to believe it. Now, I haven't taken any courses on public speaking, but this shouldn't work, right? That's not the recipe. And in fact, when you look at the message itself, it wasn't even particularly winsome or impressive. We find it in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's eight words. My three-year-old could deliver this message. Yet eight days and Nineveh will be overthrown. No PowerPoint presentation. No soft ambient music in the background setting the, the tone. None of it. Jonah comes with these eight words. He doesn't want these eight words to do anything. Just a filthy, fishy prophet shouting out words he'd heard from God, hoping that nobody would listen. And yet those eight words did exactly what Jonah did not want them to do. Those eight words from God possessed power. Why? Because they were from God. And so they did exactly what Jonah didn't want them to do. They changed the city. In spite of Jonah, we read, the people of Nineveh believed God. The entire city believed. The people trembled. The news spread. Eventually, the word reached the king of Nineveh. Can you imagine a revival of this magnitude? The whole city the king. There's a buzz in the streets. The culture has changed in Nineveh overnight. Why? Because God spoke. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We need to be a people who believe that. The powerful word went forth, and it led to the third detail that we need to consider in this story, and that is the radical repentance the radical repentance. See, if I were to ask you going into this series, maybe even now, if I were to ask you what the most unbelievable detail in this story is, I would imagine most of us would say, definitely the fish. Right? Def definitely the part where the man was swallowed and lived in a fish for three days. That is the most unbelievable piece. My answer would actually be verses 5 to 8. Let me read these again. I think this is the most unbelievable detail in this story. Beginning here in the first line. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation, published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. In my mind, that is the most unbelievable, greatest miracle in this story. Unbelievers became believers. Hard hearts came to life and they believed the whole city, 120,000 people in Nineveh. And they believed. And even the king repented. Now it's not often that a king will confess to wrongdoing, even behind closed doors with his trusted people. It is a, it's an absolute miracle that a king would come out publicly and repent and would demean himself with these public acts of repentance that we find here in the text. And yet, Jonah preached eight words from the Lord, and a king climbed down off his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. It's not uncommon to hear people throw around the expression, you know, people never change. Right? People say that all the time, right? People never change. Can I tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. People change all the time. I'm looking at a room full of changed people. A, a room full of people. Some of us were alcoholics, addicts, abusers, adulterers. I'm looking at people who were selfish and self-absorbed, who used to care only about their own comfort and their own pleasure, people who used to be dead in their sin. I see a room full of changed people. I saw one when I looked in the mirror this morning. People do change when the living Word of God settles on a person. And when the Holy Spirit wields that Word like a double-edged sword, people change. Transformation happens. And humility happens. And repentance happens. Do we still believe that, church? Do you still believe that when you pray for your lost loved ones? When you reach out to your neighbor, when you're talking to your coworker, People do change. And that's what we see in this text. And we find an example of radical repentance. So that's the, the other piece. So the, we've talked about how radical it is. Let's talk about the repentance piece. Because that's what we see here. They heard that judgment is coming and they thought we need to do something. So they turned from their sin and they fasted and they clothed themselves in sackcloth and they fell on their faces and they said sorry to the God of heaven and earth. And there's a lesson for us here. Real repentance is evidenced by real change. Real repentance is evidenced by real change. One commentator notes, no vague or superficial confession will do. It has to be accompanied by a change of behavior. So we often talk when we, when we use that word repentance. We say, well, what does it mean? Well, we, re repentance is more than saying sorry. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Repentance says sorry, but then repentance does a 180 turn, right? Repentance says, God, I was going this way and doing this thing, but I see now that it's wrong, and I'm sorry for what I've done, and I am turning now in the opposite direction. I am changing, and that's what we find here in this text, real change. Jesus said the same thing. He asked, he said, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
The people of Nineveh believed God, and that changed them. They responded with radical repentance. And the result of that repentance leads us to the final detail I want to pull out from this story if we're going to understand the message. And that is the relenting God. You need to see that if you're going to understand this text. The king of Nineveh had faith that there just might be a way of escape. So he said, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So the king says, if we turn, maybe God will turn. If we turn away from our violence, maybe God will turn away from his judgment towards us. Now, he doesn't, this king doesn't know the God of Israel. This is new. I read you the sermon that he heard. He just knows that something's got something's to change. So maybe if we change, God will change. We read in the text, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he'd said he would do to them. And he did not do it. See, it happened just as the king prayed that it would. As the people turned, so God turned. Our God is the God who relents. But that brings us to where I want to land this morning, what I want to park on. Because what Nineveh didn't understand, and what Jonah didn't understand, is the how of God's relenting. Right? How, did, how did that work? What, what has happened here? How does this make sense? See, Jonah didn't understand this piece of the puzzle, and that's why as we're going to see next week, he was so angry about God's mercy for Nineveh. It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. These people, these Ninevites, they really deserved judgment. And P.S., Jonah's right. They really deserved judgment. They really deserved the wrath of God. They had really done some horrible, wicked, evil things. How could Jonah, how, how could we continue to worship a God who's willing to turn a blind eye to that kind of horrible injustice. Does a relenting God deserve praise? That's an important question. To frame it differently, to, to wrap our minds around how Jonah was struggling here, maybe we can ask it this way. Can justice and mercy coexist? Can God be all of these things that I'm seeing? And how does that fit together? That's what Jonah was wrestling with. And I want to make sure that we, we root ourselves there as we close our time in the text today. And so we're going to do something a little different. Actually, to conclude this sermon, I want you to flip ahead in your Bible to the New Testament, to the book of Romans chapter 3. The book of Romans chapter 3. See, Jonah knew some true things about God, but he didn't quite see how they could possibly fit together. And yet, we have a benefit that Jonah didn't have, right? We've seen Christ, and we have the apostles explaining Christ, pointing to Christ, mapping it all out, fleshing it out. I would argue that if Jonah had Romans chapter 3, Jonah would have preached to Nineveh gladly, right? This is the piece of the puzzle he didn't have. So I want to make sure that we see it, because we have it. This is one of the deepest, most profound passages in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to read from verses 23 to 26. The Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, these are deep waters, but I want to just walk through some of the things that Paul has said here so that we can see how this fits together. So here in this, in this brief but deep text, Paul tells us some things about God. He, he says, first of all, we've all sinned, right? That's what Mona, that, Mona that's what Jonah needed to learn in the belly of the fish. We've, we're all sinners, sinners who need grace, sinners who don't deserve grace, sinners who need mercy, that kindness we don't deserve. We're all sinners, but Jesus died for sinners, for sinners who don't deserve mercy. Therefore, you put that together and you see the mercy of God. God is abundantly merciful because he's the God who shows kindness to people who don't deserve it. People like Jonah, people like Nineveh, people like you, people like me. That's what we see in the text. Wonderful, right? But, but what was Jonah struggling with? Jonah was struggling with all the sin that had been left undealt with. All the horrible things that the people of Nineveh had done. Somebody's got to answer for that, God. He's so fired up, right? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain, yes, in his mercy, God passed over former sins, right? In order to show kindness to to Levi, God passed over things that Levi had done, things that Jonah had done. He passed over those sins, yes. But then Jesus came and he died as a payment for the sins that had been passed over. Therefore, God is perfectly just because, listen, not one sin was left unaccounted for. Every sin is paid for. Every wrong is righted. God is just. And He is the justifier. Justice and mercy do come together, and they come together at the cross. That's what the Apostle Paul sees. It's the missing piece. It's how it all fits together. The Apostle Paul says, don't miss it. Do you see it? If Jonah saw that, he'd say, okay, well, I'll preach to him. I'll preach to whoever you'd like. Does that make sense? Now, there are people, even within Christianity, who hate these verses, who hate this idea, and they'll, they'll bounce back and say, what, is God like an angry, petulant child? Right? Some, he's got to do something with all this anger because of stuff that's been done. He's got to, like, go punch his pillow. He's got to hang Jesus on a cross so that he can vent out his anger for sin. There are people who talk that way. But I would say those are people who don't understand sin. They don't understand how heinous it is, how destructive it is. Jonah understood sin. Jonah had been living under this terrorist regime. Jonah had seen that that these Assyrians, these Ninevites, had done horrific, evil, wicked things things. And a God who could, who could simply say, well, now you're forgiven. A God who could just pretend that those things had never happened. A God who could sweep that under the rug is a God that's not worthy of praise. But, and here's what we see now, God didn't sweep it under a rug, did he? Not according to the Apostle Paul. God set that sin aside to be dealt with later. He showed mercy to Jonah He showed mercy to Nineveh. And then 700 years later, a child was born to the Virgin Mary. And he was raised by a tradesman. 
and he was brought up and taught in the synagogue, and he was perfect. And he was tender-hearted and kind and righteous. And everything that we want to be, everything that we ought to be, he was. And he came alongside the, the poor. And he showed them compassion. And he came alongside the disenfranchised. And he reminded them that they are infinitely valuable. That they matter to their Heavenly Father. And he came to the sick and he touched them and he blessed them and he healed them. And he came to the, the sinners and he told them to turn from their sin and he brought them in and he said, we're going to march forward. There's a new kingdom advancing in this world. And he stood up to everything that we hate about the world. He stood up and he said, no, there's a better way. He came and he loved us and he walked with us. And yet we sinned against him. We betrayed him. We slandered him. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was whipped. He was crucified. And in all this, as he suffered all of this evil, he never once sinned, never once retaliated, never once turned away from his assignment. As he f- came face to face with real injustice, he was unflinching in his commitment to the task. Why? Because something needed to be done. Because God's mercy and God's justice, God's love, God's holiness, all of it, it's coming together. And, and at the cross, Jesus says, you're going to learn about your God, something that you've never seen before. And there on the cross, in an incomprehensible display of mercy, Jesus bore the sin of the world. He died for the sins of Jonah. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus died for the sins of Jonah. We, last week, chapter 2, we're reading about how Jonah's marveling at the mercy of God. He's in the fish and he's like, God, I can't believe that you hear me. This is amazing. After all that I've done, you hear me. God, I'm, I'm amazed that you, you, I was behind the bars of Sheol, like I was sinking down to the deep, but you have brought me back to life. You've rescued me. Jonah's going, this is awesome. I can't even understand. How is it possible, God? This is how it's possible. How did God show kindness to Jonah in spite of all of that rebellion and all that sin? Well, all of that rebellion and sin was set aside. And it was laid on the cross of Christ. And Jesus paid for the sin of Jonah so that Jonah could be the recipient of mercy. Jesus died for the Ninevites. Have you thought about that? Jonah's saying, how does this... How does this work, God? They've done such terrible things. There's no way that you could show kindness to these guys. And yet as the Ninevites turn from their sin, turn from their wicked ways, and they look to God and they cried out to him, God took all of that sin that deserved judgment and he set it aside. And Christ came and he took the sin of the Ninevites and he bore it in himself at the cross. The sin of their tyranny, the sin of their oppression of the people of God. He bore it. So that they could be forgiven. Jesus died for every believer in this room. You know, early I I threw out the fact that here we are in a room full of changed people. Alcoholics and addicts and adulterers and lust-filled people, selfish people. All of those things about ourselves that we see and that we are ashamed of. And and we marvel at the fact that God would show mercy to people like us. How can he show mercy to people like us? How can he show kindness to us? Because all that sin, when we put our trust in Christ and we confess our sin, that sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. That sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. We have a hope 
and a future. We're going to live forever in glory with our Heavenly Father. Why? How? Because Jesus took our sin and He bore it on the cross. And we didn't deserve that. It was mercy. Right? Mercy. A kindness that we could never deserve. That's what mercy is. The cross was mercy and the cross was justice. The cross is the place where we look and we remember that there is nothing that happens that is outside the vision of God. He sees. He is holy and just and righteous. Every wrong will be righted. And in cross, all of these wrongs that we see in ourselves, if we turn to Him in faith, all of these wrongs are are taken. They're imputed to Christ. He takes them for us. Bears the burden for us. And you'll never understand grace until you see that. Until you, can, until you wrap your mind around that, you'll see it in part, but you're like, it's like you're in a, a house of mirrors and they're all distorted. You need to see the cross of Christ. And if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you're here today and you've not taken that sin, you have not confessed it to God, you have not laid it on the cross of Christ, you need to listen very closely to what I'm about to say. Because I don't know if you have 40 years or 40 days or 40 minutes, but God's judgment, His righteous, just judgment is going to fall on that sin. And if you do not hand that sin over to Christ in faith, then the same wrath that fell on Christ at the cross will fall on you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So I'm coming to you today, not with words about God. I'm coming to you with a word from the God of the universe. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Let it go. Turn away from it and believe that Jesus came to die in your place. Because listen, he is the God of second chances. His word is powerful. It inspires radical change. Even in the hardest of hearts, it does. And when we turn from our sin, we discover He's also the God who relents. The righteous judgment that hangs over your head today does not need to fall on you. God sent His Son to bear the curse for you. So learn. Here. Look at the Ninevites and this response. Jesus said, Jesus said, look at the Ninevites and their response, because if you do not respond to this message that you've received, one day they're going to stand up and they're going to be in judgment over you. He said this, he said, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented when that fishy, funky prophet came in with an eight-word sermon, that guy who, who hated them, that guy who didn't like them, the guy who just wanted to get out of there as quickly as he could, they heard that and they said, we need to do something. Jesus said, if they repented at that, and here you have the Son of God who loves you, who is merciful towards you, who rose from the dead, who is telling you, repent and believe in the gospel. If you do not respond to this, on that final day, they will stand up in judgment over you. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. A greater warning. A greater mercy. A greater messenger. So repent. 
and believe and live. That's God's word to us today. Let me pray for you now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I, I pray, I plead that your word would do what only you can do, that your Holy Spirit would, would lay hold of truth and would press it into the deepest recesses of the heart, those places I could never touch, those places our loved ones could never speak into. God, only you know what it takes to bring dead people to life. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is dead in their sin, I, I plead with you, God, that you would be merciful, that you would show yourself just and the justifier, that you would cause them today in faith to look to Christ and be saved. I, I, I pray for that, God. I wish so much that I could, I could do something tangibly myself, and yet I also rest in the fact that I can't, God. It's only you. So God, would you be merciful today? Would you speak today powerfully? Would you move today? And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to be so in awe of all of who you are. God, I just confess that, that every one of us is inclined to look at you like, like the distorted mirror, Lord, to, to take certain aspects of who you are and to elevate those above the rest. Lord, each of us is guilty of this. God, I pray that you would just help us to humble ourselves and to see you and worship you and love you for all of who you are. You are always just and always love. You are always holy and always merciful. You are always the righteous judge and always the heavenly father. You are always all of who you are. And all of who you are is worthy of our praise and our delight. So God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see you and I pray that you would help us to respond to what we see. God, we're thankful and we love you. And God, I just pray that you would you'd really encourage your people today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and just before I do, I, I just want to share. I really do, from, I do believe that for so many Christians, this is a missing piece. Uh, just the, the piece of justice is missing. And you wonder, well, how does that, how does that affect me? What, what does that matter? Well, it matters in two ways. One, it matters in our ability to forgive others. It's why so many of us feel like we need to take out a pound of flesh to somebody else before we can forgive them. When you understand that God sees and God is going to act, and it is God's prerogative to show mercy or to, or to act in justice, when you see that, that enables you all of a sudden to be able to extend a forgiveness that is beyond anything you've extended before. So that matters. You need to see that. But then second, I would just say, and this is what I see pastorally more than anything else, it, it matters in your ability to receive forgiveness because so often we walk around feeling so gross because we know what we've done and we know who we are and we know what we've thought. We know all the things that are happening in our heart and when we see all of that, we just, we wonder, God can't love me the way that he says he loves me. He can't forgive me the way that he says forgive me. Because who could love and forgive all of this? I, I see so many people wrestling with that. But when you see the fact that God does see all of that, he sees the stuff you don't even see it. It's worse than you think it is in there. But Jesus died for that. 
It's been paid for. Like it's, it is gone. You are not more just than God. It's gone. This matters. We have to see this. It, it really does change everything. It changes our understanding of the cross. And so I'm hoping and praying that God is pressing this into us. And if you've got questions or you'd like to talk, uh, first of all, I, I'm available and I'd love to talk to you after the service. But I also want to remind you, there are some really qualified people sitting right next to you and in front of you and behind you. Uh, and so I would just encourage you, talk to the people of God. If God's pressing something in your heart, share it with the person next to you. Uh, you don't need a pastor to pray for you, to put your trust in Christ. You could pray with the person next to you. You could pray by yourself in your seat. But if God's working in you, respond. Respond to him today. Let me pray for us now. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he lift up the light of his countenance to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. You are dismissed.